We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today, joining us is Anthony J. Hayes, who's the president and founder of the Hayes Initiative. Let's jump in and get to know Anthony J. Hayes. <laughs> it's nice to be here. Thanks for the uh, middle initial call out. I love it. My mother will be so pleased. Can't wait for her to hear it. That's going to be great. Same, same. Anthony, welcome, and and thanks so much for hanging with us. We're thrilled that you're with us. For those who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about, tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up, and where were you born and raised? Sure. So I grew up in Enid, Oklahoma, which is about two hours west of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I lived there until 1998, and then moved. I was going to college at the University of Oklahoma at the time, and was putting myself through school. And I was working at a restaurant and started managing the restaurant. And then they said, you know, that extra, you know, $4 (laughs) that you're making every paycheck makes you not eligible for one of your scholarships. So the whole sort of house of cards crumbled. And I was like, well, if I'm not going to school, I'm not living here. And so I made a very last minute decision and flew to New York City and in 1998, where I've been sort of ever since. So there you have it. Anthony, you're joining us from just outside of New York today. I am. I am. I'm very lucky to be outside of New York City right now. That's a big change from growing up where you grew up. How did you adjust? And and like, what was that like for you? To be honest, it's so funny. It was one of those really, you know, you have the, well, I think we have these, if you're paying attention, you have these moments in life where, you know, you realize, oh, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm right at the right place. Like everything, this is right. I don't know why it's right. I can't tell you what the outcome is going to be, but I just know, I just feel it. And uh, when the plane touched down at LaGuardia, it really is very, it feels very cinematic, but it also really felt that way where I just thought my shoulders dropped and I was like, oh, I understand this vibe. I mean, the common thing I get and still that still to this day and got it this weekend just of you grew up in Oklahoma? How is this possible that you grew up in Oklahoma? <laughs> so I think it's just sort of, it's a fit. You know, I mm-hmm. it's a real goodness of fit living in New York, the New York region. I mean, I love, I now love Oklahoma, but it's very different. You know, I don't live there. So it's easy to go back and appreciate the beautiful parts of, you know, the Midwest. It's chill, yeah. it's, but there's also some negatives in the Midwest as well. So I'm happy to miss all that. Yeah, I, I want to ask you a little bit about that. And, and sure. in just a minute, I want to ask you about the Haney's Initiative, too, and your great experience helping a lot of folks. But, you know, what was it like, you know, growing up where you grew up? And tell us a little bit about that, bring, bring us into that world. Yeah, it was equal parts excellent and equal parts really terrible. You know, I knew very early I was a gay man. I was in fifth grade and sort of knew, I, I sort of, there was this, kid, which I've told him, but I sense, and he has a great sense of humor about where it all started. Right. But when mm-hmm. one of the reunions, we, we talked about it, but you know, I just, he was dating this girl, Hallie France. And I was like, well, I want him to be my boyfriend. Like it wasn't anything like weird. It was just like, yeah, yeah carry my books home. Like what's wrong with you? Like, mm-hmm. why aren't you carrying my books versus hers? So, but I knew then I couldn't really talk about it. You know, I mean, it was a different era. I mean, I'm, I'm 45. And so, you know, I came of age sort of in the eighties and nineties before I moved. And that was a different time for, well, for, for a lot of people, but for gay people, certainly in America. And so 
the good parts about it was that I, you know, I was fortunate that I was humorous and I had lots of friends and I, you know, was able to sort of be in all the crowds Mm -hmm. um, and really was sort of, I guess, one of the cool kids. Like looking back on it, I can see that. But I also was sort of in that and felt really inauthentic and very sort of like, oh my God, if they know I'll never be cool. And so it was just this panic. And, you know, it's also why I started drinking very early and, you know, was in rehab at 16 and sort of have always sort of had, I think, I mean, I am an alcoholic. And so like, I think that that's part of like, just being what that is, you know, but I do think sort of all of those things growing up and trying to hide while being very present and public and you know, out and about and social, you know, that's complicated for someone to sort of wrap their head around and, and, it, it, you know, it had its costs, but again, there was a lot of really, I can't take away the small townness that was, some of that was really great and really affirming. And you knew your community, you know, there's good sides to every coin. So, yeah. Yeah. No, Anthony, your life is very different now. <laughs> We'd love to hear about everything that's happening with the Hayes Initiative. Tell us about the Hayes Initiative as the founder. So I worked on Secretary Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016. And when that ended, I was talking to a few communication firms here in New York City about joining them. And several people said, oh, gosh, that's great. We'd love to have you run our communications again. And I was talking to a friend of mine. And this all happened very fast. So I feel really blessed and was very overwhelmed. But, you know, this was... See, it was November 8th was election. So we sort of put the secretary in the car from giving her concession speech on what it was the morning of the 9th at the New Yorker Hotel. And then we, you know, I was having these conversations two weeks later about Mm -hmm. a friend saying, you've always wanted to start a business. Why don't you start a business? And I'm like, I just got back to my apartment. It's been a year and a half. Like I haven't slept. (laughs) But I just sort of was, I got another phone call from somebody saying, you know, we're looking for somebody to run a nationwide bus tour about not repealing the Affordable Care Act and your name keeps coming up. And I just was like, oh gosh, this sounds great. We, you know, we'd love to do that. And I said, you know, you should hire our firm. And they're like, oh, great, send us your contract. And I sort of was like, Google contract, you know, like I had no idea, like, And there was the inception of, you know, the Hayes Initiative sort of right after a really obviously challenging professional moment. Yeah, you've worked a lot in communications, media strategies, advocacy, (laughs) and so much more. How, How did you get started down that career path? You know, I would love to tell you and your listeners there was some like, you know, plan. (laughs) But I moved to New York and sort of got here didn't have any money. So I had to immediately start working. I started working as a waiter. You know, then I was like a waiter and working at Starbucks. And then I was at Starbucks. And then I went to work in retail and a friend's like, oh, you should go to Ralph Lauren. They pay commission. And and just, I don't know, one thing led to the next, to the next. And I, I think in the early part of moving to New York, I just sort of moved into a headspace of saying yes to everything. Mm-hmm you know, both good and bad that comes with that, right? Like that's, it's not necessarily, you know, the greatest advice in the world, but I think it's more just the concept of being open to opportunities and sort of like going and exploring them. And, you know, I sort of still have that mentality today, which is what I think led to starting the company, but it was really that. And so, you know, from Ralph Lauren, I had a great group of older sort of mentor gay men who were like, you can be out all night partying, but you're also going to the AIDS walk. You know, you can be out all night, but we're going to go because there's a, a law in Albany or in Washington, D.C. that's 
anti-LGBTQ. So I just got sort of in my really early 20s when I was really, frankly, a mess and just having so much fun. But I had this real undercurrent of of that sort of small townness get layered back on top of, even in a city, the concept of community and what that meant and how you show up for that. I didn't quite understand what that meant at 20, but I have a lot of thoughts on that now and have a lot of feelings about that now. And that's how I got connected to sort of advocacy. You know, you sort of brought that up and I yeah. was at... You were at Human Rights Campaign and yeah. you mentioned being with Hillary for America, but also working with Port Authority. Great, great work. Yeah, no, I've, I've been lucky in that I bounced around, but it really was through LGBTQ advocacy that I got into understanding like what I wanted to be when I grew up. And that was in my mid-20s. You know, that was when I sort of realized, huh, I'm good at storytelling and I'm good at having really complicated conversations and simplifying them and and helping people understand the message and understand why it's important and why they should care about it. And, you know, again, it all stemmed from the LGBTQ advocacy because, you know, you're lobbying for, you're lobbying with some people who just, you know, would call you an abomination to your face and others who were like, this is great. You should wait. It's not time yet. You got used to trying to move something forward with those kinds of (laughs) problems. You learn how to communicate. Definitely. And and Anthony, I mean, running your own company, your own initiative, what do you love about being a founder? God, that's like, uh, we're happen to be in this great time right now where we're having a lot of growing pains and it, it's exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. And it's painful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's funny that you're asking it today. I'm like, ah, uh, it is. Um, I love what we do. One of the big things that I love to get to do is to help people because I think people get really scared about saying what they believe or sharing their values, especially now. I think it's a very complicated time about doing that. But I love doing that. I love taking something that's hard or in crisis or it's incredibly complex, like a big infrastructure project in New York City that you have to explain why why we need to build this, what the benefits will be. Yes, it's really expensive. And here's why, you know, yeah, all those complicating things are fun to me. Why do you think it's more difficult now or more challenging now for people to explain or communicate their values, right? Because I I feel like the other side of that argument could be like, you know, with everything that's gone on in the last year and a half, specifically in our country, right? People seem to be much more open to being who they are and expressing their true feelings whether for good or bad, right? And so I'm curious to understand a little bit more why you feel it might be a little bit more challenging today. I think you're right. You know, I appreciate you sort of making that distinction. I do agree that more people are willing to speak up. And so Mm -hmm. I think one of the byproducts of 2016 was engagement, right? So I think Hillary losing and Donald Trump becoming president and I, whatever your politics are, they are, but like just that was a galvanizing moment for people to say, oh, wait, I have to participate, Mm. right? So I think that was the sort of the moment. We've seen many other things that have gratefully brought people to the table, to to your point, to your very correct point. But I think where something that I've noticed as a communicator is, and I think it's because I'm having lots of conversations with sort of leadership C-suite, talking to people about How do we talk about George Floyd and Black Lives Matter? How do we talk about blah, 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 blah? How do we talk about, you know, 
the election and and like all of that was wrapped up in the election. And, you know, I, we don't want to be that we're a sports team or we're a this or we're a that. We don't want to be talking about it. We just want to be like, you know, playing our sports. And I'm like, that's not the world we live in right now. Your employees and your customers are requiring more. And so you have to speak because silence is speech. It's a communication. But I think what makes it harder is and, you know, I experienced this, I can really sort of speak to this. And from my personal perspective is there's a lot of people to your point of who are wanting to speak up and wanting to share their values, but I think are so nervous being the awkward allies sort of idea where mm-hmm. they might misstep. And so therefore they like overthink it or they like, you know, don't engage. And I was having a great call with a client who called and was like, we're done not speaking about certain things. You know, this happened to be at the moment of sort of the inflection of, of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, where everyone, of course, rightly came to life. And, and so I said, I go, this is great. I was like, who all's on the call? And they sort of named everyone. And I was like, there's not a Black person on the phone. Like, your head of HR is like, why are we tight? I can tell you what I think, but I can't authentically speak I can't help you shape this, right? And some of it is challenging myself as a white communicator too, right? Even though I'm LGBTQ and I feel like I have an understanding, it is different. It's the uh, decentering, right? And that's, you know, you come at it wanting to help and then all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, I'm, oh my God, I'm sorry, I'll stop talking, right? And so I think there's a lot of that, that that's what I mean by, I think there's this anxiousness from people who want to communicate values does that, right. I, hope that I hope this makes sense I'm yeah sorry. yeah no no it, it, went it, down it, a rabbit hole there no no it, de- it definitely makes sense and and i want to sort of ask you a, a follow-up question you know to that right because you know you being who you are anthony right on one hand you are a part of an underrepresented group right but on the other hand, right, you have some privilege as well, too, right? And I'm curious to understand from your perspective, how does that intersectionality sort of play into your advocacy? Yeah, listen, it's a great question. I think, you know, like I said, with some of the conversations when I would go to the Hill and talk about marriage equality and people would be like, oh, you need to wait. And I'm like, oh, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, that experience of, you know, the people who are sort of like on your side, on your side and Mm -hmm. telling you to wait, air quotes on your side. You know, I think that that sort of got me to a place of just sort of feeling very comfortable about like understanding sort of the mechanics around advocacy and the mechanics around, you know, for instance, to expand the current hate crimes that were on the books, right, to include LGBTQ. We attached that in, God, 12, 15 years ago, 12 or 15 years ago, we attached it to a Department of Defense spending bill, right? So like thinking very strategically about like, okay, this has to move (laughs) because you're going to do a war that none of us really believe in, but okay, well, in order for us to pass it, the people who want this, you have to put this in it. And so some of it is that. And just starting to really get very strategic and, and understand those things. And so for me now, like when I see certain things happening, you know, there was, there's one example that I can give sort of, I can't name, but I can sort of give the example of there was a lot of want 
both for representation on social media from Black employees, which of course the company should have done. But equally, I was sort of saying, you know, I know you guys have brought up lack of people of color in leadership. Like, which one do you want to die on the hill if they only do one? (laughs) And so just sort of like raising that sort of experience as people are sort of going through that because it's, it's complicated and it's, at least for me, my perspective is it can be at times very exhilarating because you see, see real movement. And then at other times you feel really deflated because if you feel like you're, you know, you're pushing a giant rock up a hill. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Anthony, you know, I want to talk to you about some of your life experiences and you mentioned hate crimes and, you know, there's moments and there's ugliness and there's a lot of things that people go through. Can you talk to us a little bit about sort of issues of discrimination that you've experienced personally and how you overcame those moments? (laughs) Well, I drank, as I mentioned, um, (laughs) which wasn't the most productive, wasn't the most productive route for me. So I'm grateful that I changed that. But beyond that, I don't know. I wish I could sort of say there was a moment that clicked. My friend and I, we were leaving a gay bar in Oklahoma. It was probably, I don't know, two or three in the morning and walking to our car. And we were for sure like just being loud (laughs) and just sort of out and proud. And I think Jack had on like a feather boa. And like, I mean, it was really sort of quite the spectacle in fairness to everybody, but nonetheless, not really hurting anybody either. And all of a sudden, I sort of heard it in the background, which was like a a car revving up. Mm. And I just, I didn't understand. And then you start hearing, you know, the words being flung at you. I assume it was like beer bottles that was being thrown. You know, we got to his car, we got in, you know, throwing things at the car, circling the car, really making it clear that if they wanted to, they could physically harm us. And, you know, it was late. It was in the middle of downtown Oklahoma City. No one was around. I'm not sure what would have happened had people been around, just to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Because we were in the neighborhood, right? We were in the neighborhood where all the gay bars were. So, you know, I, d- I just don't know how receptive that would have been. And so I think that always stuck with me about just sort of like, I don't want to feel like that again. I can't quite put into words for you what it, how it has translated, but it really has like given me well, if you are going to, you know, come after me and kill me for being myself, which is what you did to, you know, countless others, then I'm not going to be quiet. And I don't know what that means. So I, that just sort of got instilled in me. I don't quite know why or how. I'm not very articulate about that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your yeah, experiences yeah. with us and your honesty, even on like how to cope with things. That's a real thing you know, for a lot of people. So thank you for your courage and your honesty and talking about that. I want to ask you, what does Pride Month mean to you? (laughs) Well, it's great because I really get to be in a support function now. I've always been working. (laughs) So, you know, I've been gratefully with politicians going to parades and like, it was great because it was something I believed in and wanted to do, but I sort of lost the idea of just being counted or sort of showing up to panels and just listening or so I sort of approach it that way. But I think it's just a point of reflection, right? We do have a lot to celebrate. 
You know, I mean, there was a gay guy that ran for president. God bless Pete, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it wasn't laughed out of the room. Yeah. You know, the representation hasn't equated to equality. You know, we're doing some work with this great veteran, Black veteran, LGBTQ, who got kicked out under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And President Biden made access around COVID vaccines for veterans and their family was sort of the extension. I may be getting a little of this wonky, but it basically involved veterans getting access to the vaccines because his commander gave him an honorable discharge. And that's why Don't Ask, Don't Tell was so terrible is because it could be applied across many, many ways. And a lot of them were very vindictive about it and gave dishonorable discharges, which means all those veterans, they don't get any of their benefits, mm-hmm. whether that's you know GI Bill, access to healthcare, all of those things. So Tony and his husband were able to do that. But the reality is we haven't gone back in, even though we're at 10 years of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, we're at 10 years of marriage equality in New York and sort of celebrating the time I forget where we are with nationwide, but about three, three to five years, even though we're having all these celebrations, like Tony's story is like a perfect example of there's still mechanics legally where LGBT veterans are being punished still by Don't Ask, Don't Tell because they can't access. And, you know, Biden and Congress really do need to adjust that so that these folks have honorable discharges since we repealed the law. So it's reflection both in celebration, but also there's very serious work to be done still because the visibility doesn't equal equality as as is true, not just for us, but for many. And is it that serious work in terms of looking at it as the opportunity? Is that what excites you about sort of the future of what you do today? Yeah, I mean, I love getting to, like I said, I love communicating. We really do run across all sectors you know, we have straight corporate clients, we have tech, we have, but then the stuff that really inspires me is getting to sort of be at the table when people are, whether it is a, a tech or a big company, talking about these big social issues that I care so much about. And not to mention being able to sort of do pro bono work and help people and sort of step in when I can. And, you know, even if it's a short term thing or a longer term, you know, just, I'm happy to give my skill set because I I do think things are hopeful. I can speak for myself. It was a very, very difficult four years. And I'm saying that, you know, with the privilege of being a white man. And so like, I can't imagine for my black brothers and sisters, women, like it, I think it was a very scary time. And even in that, I still think that there is hope. So I I think that we can keep pressing forward and being able to help with that and help people communicate that is, I mean, how great is that? (laughs) If that's what you get to do, it's great. Anthony, talk to us a little bit about some some sort of heroes in your life, both professionally and and personally. Uh, You know, sometimes we use the word mentors, sometimes heroes, or just people that impacted you and made an impression and maybe part of who you are today. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, especially when I was a younger kid, I I was very fortunate to have like lots of different parental figures in like the best way. But, you know, there was this 
guy who really sort of was a therapist when I was younger, but really sort of got, got me to a place of just sort of like, you know, he would always say, you know, F them if they can't take a joke. And I, and I don't know why, but just sort of that idea of like, just be yourself, just be who you are and sort of be out there. That really always stuck with me. His name is Bob. And he really sort of put some shape to that. But I think it's actually a lot of the people that I, I, what I find interesting are the people that inspire you that you don't know, especially in today's world, right? Like, because we can see things instantaneously and overnight, like all of a sudden, you know, someone like, you know, uh, Amanda Gorman, like blows us all away. And so like some of those things and how I, I always loved when watching in particular Michelle Obama be grace under fire all the time. So these are people who I, I just sort of like see and yeah. watch how they're living, mm-hmm. at least in the public sphere. And then I suppose my best friend, Ashley, you know, she just really is always very like down to earth. And she's like, well, that just doesn't sound right. And just sort of that idea of like, yeah, that's that simple. (laughs) That just doesn't sound right. (laughs) Is really sort of a thing that I try to like focus on and live by. Awesome. Awesome. Well, fun question, Anthony. I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast. Give us the top three apps that you use on your phone outside of email and calendar and text messaging. Looks like I got you. No, I love it. (laughs) No, I was trying to think which one. So I think probably most used would be Amazon. Okay. Um, Makes sense. Makes sense. LinkedIn. And then I probably would put probably like banking stuff just because like I'm obsessive about checking my balance. I don't know why. I think the one I always share with everybody whenever like apps come up is this app called Keepsake. And it's where you can take a photo on your phone and frame it. And then you can send it. And so like you can do it within seconds. And it's the best gift to give to somebody. Like if you know, one of my friends had a cute picture of their kid. I'll just frame it really quick. And it's like 30, 40 bucks and I send it. And it's like, they're so blown away and they can't believe it because who frames pictures? And so right. anyway, keep saying. I love that one because we we haven't heard that one on the podcast before. So that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. Anthony, a lot of our audience loves to stay in touch, follow you and keep the conversation going at times. What are some ways that our audience can follow you or stay in touch? The best way I've really gone and done a very big social media diet. So I no longer have Facebook, et cetera. So LinkedIn is the best, 100%. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Anthony. It's been a pleasure having you on. And everyone, thanks for joining us again for another episode. If you're looking for more episodes, find us where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again, Anthony. Thank you, guys. 